Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? All right, come on. You're going to have to wake up a little bit there, Vaughn Forrest. It is good to be with you. My name is Nick, and to those watching online, we are so glad that you decided to join us for worship today. It is so good to be here. As you heard Adam say earlier, we have been friends for a very, very long time. I feel like we have grown up together. We made some mistakes. We've tried to figure out, and our wives still like us in the midst of all that. Amen. And so it is good to be with you. I'm always honored especially coming and hanging out with my friend and him trusting me with teaching God's word with you guys today. My family has traveled with me and I'm so thankful for that. They have surrendered their weekend and their time to come with me. Now, granted, they are, we are going to the beach after this, so it really wasn't that big of a sacrifice, but I have been married to an amazing woman for almost 18 years. It is crazy to think that she has put up with me, all of this, y'all, because it's a lot sometimes. For the last 18 years, her name is Laura, and she really is my better half. And we have three beautiful kids inside and out. My oldest, her name is Ava. She is smart. She plays volleyball. She does track and field. She is really a blessing. She won't ever date because she has a man in her life named Daddy, and I will punch a teenage boy in the throat. And so, praise God for that, that he has given us that gift. My oldest son, his name is Jackson. He is 12. He's about to be 13 here in a couple weeks. He really is a blessing. He makes me laugh. I love his sense of humor. He plays football. He's great at video games. And then our youngest, his name is Nash. He will turn nine in July, and he is great. He loves football and talking about football. He knows facts about football. He loves soccer. One of the things I love most about him when he's playing FIFA soccer, sometimes he will speak in an English accent, which I think is the most incredible thing ever. And so they really are a blessing. A couple weeks ago, as talking about surrender with my family, surrendering to be here with me, I surrendered my life to a guy named Wizard. Now, for some of you, you're like, Nick, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Why would you, one, surrender your life to somebody? And why did that boy's mama name him Wizard? I don't know, y'all. Pray for him and his family. But me and Wizard went skydiving together a couple of weeks ago, and I surrendered my life to Wizard. And I'll tell you more about that, but let's kind of watch some of this evidence. That's me, in case you didn't know. And I don't know if you notice this or not, but my face is flapping in the wind. Like, I, I mean, getting older has snuck up on me. I watched that video, and I was like, look at my face just, just doing what it do. Look at it. But what was interesting, I went and I skydove with a young man that I've been discipling for the last few months and almost really years now. And he was like, hey, I got this gift certificate to go skydiving. And I said, praise God for that. He said, I don't have anyone to go with me. Would you be willing? And I said, I've been before. What's one more time? And so we decided, we made our trek right outside of Chattanooga. We got there. I was a little nervous. And we get there, and then I meet my tandem skydive instructor. His name is Wizard. And Wizard has given me some point-by-point, kind of play-by-plays of what's going to happen. And here's what's crazy. Me and Wizard had met five minutes prior, and he's telling me how we're going to be, like, locked in together and how we're going to jump out of a plane together. And here's what's the crazy part. I was perfectly okay with it. I was like, Wizard, that sounds great. Me and you jumping on a plane, praise God. I put on the harness and I trusted him to make sure everything was right. He was telling me all the things that were going to happen. And then we walk out and we get on the plane. And while we're on the plane, he's like, all right, it's time to get hooked in together. And y'all, he said, Nick, come here. We're going to get as close as possible. And you know what I said? Okay, Wizard. 
no restraint. I just said, let's go. And then as we got, as we climbed altitude, Wizard was like, here's what's going to happen. Now we're going to be even tighter together. I said, great, Wizard. We got to our cruising altitude, and he said to me, he said, all right, Nick, we need to step to the edge of the plane, and the door was open. And y'all, I got up and went, okay. Then he said, on the count of three, we're going to go, Nick, and here's a couple things I need you to do. And, and so I was like, okay, wizard, and he counted to three, and we fell out of the plane. If you've never gone skydiving, you don't jump, you're pushed, amen. That's what's happening. So we're flying, and I'm, I'm screaming a little bit, and I'm doing the thing, and as I was falling to the earth with wizard at a rapid speed, the Holy Spirit decided to kind of nudge me a little bit, which I was like, you're not invited right now, Holy Spirit. What are we doing? Are you about to tell me I'm about to come home? Is that what we're doing? Like, what, what is going on? And so I just felt this impression from the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you. I don't know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like to you. Sometimes it sounds like all kinds of different things. In this particular season, he kind of sounded like Coach Boone from Remember the Titans. He's like, Nick. It's like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> he said, uh, isn't it interesting that you just met Wizard? And I said, yeah, that's interesting. He's like, but you were willing to listen to Wizard no matter what he said. And I said, uh-huh. He said, you were also willing to surrender your life in the hands of Wizard, and you don't even know if Wizard's ever lost anybody. It's a very good point. Wasn't thinking about that to this moment, Holy Spirit. He said, Nick, isn't it interesting that you don't know anything about wizard, but yet you were so willing to surrender your life into his hands? And I said, that is kind of interesting. He says, why is it then, Nick, that you know me, you know what I've done, you've seen the evidence of how I move, but yet you're not willing to surrender to me in certain areas of your life? I didn't like that conversation, y'all. Because I knew he was right. I knew a lot of times I talk about surrender and I, and I want to be surrendered, but there are moments where I will hesitate to open my hands and trust the king of kings. Here, I want you to do something with me, everyone. Take your hands out and put them up. I can see you, so do this, right? It's not a suggestion. I want you to close your hands for me. Keep them closed. As I think about what we are doing right now, see, this is the picture a lot of times, not only of my hands, but also my heart. And here's what you notice. The longer you keep them closed, the harder it is to open them. You can stop right now. See, the thing for all of us is so many of us are holding on so tightly to things and we are keeping our hands closed and we're not willing to open them. And this is the posture that our life is taking. We go, yes, Lord, I know that's a good suggestion, but I am not willing to do that because I'm holding on too tightly to all kinds of things. And I know that I'm not the only one guilty of this. See, we are all guilty of holding on to lesser things for security instead of trusting the king. We are all guilty of holding on to lesser things instead of trusting the king. Things like what? Well, Maybe for you, they're things like they've always been. You're kind of grown used to this, and this is the way it's always been, and so you're holding on to comfort and convenience, and you're not willing to open up your hands and let it go because you have grown comfortable with it. 
Maybe it's material things. Maybe it's your job. And maybe it's how much you're making a year. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's the car you drive and you're holding on so tightly to this thing that can never really satisfy, but you are holding on tightly. Maybe for you as your kids, you're trying to control your kids instead of trying to lead your kids. And you're holding on so tightly because you don't want anything to get messed up. You don't want them to step out of line. You don't want them to reflect you poorly. And so you hold on so tightly. Maybe it's your plan. You have given the king of king and the author of the story your plan, and you want him to sign off on it and go, hey, here's the way it needs to go. So you hold on to that. Maybe it's the way everyone views you. You want everyone around you to think that you have it all together. You want everyone to think the best of you. You want everyone to have this image of what you are trying to convey, and you're holding on so tightly to that. And here's the thing I've noticed about myself. Depending on my age depends on what I hold on to. I remember as a kid, I held on to my teddy bear or my, you know, my blanket or whatever for security because as long as I had that, everything will be okay. And maybe as a teenager, it's your friends or it's your cell phone. It's your all these other things for security. And maybe as an adult, it's a list of those things I've already named. But we hold on to all kinds of things. I was sitting at a conference And sometimes when I go to conferences, it is so encouraging and uplifting. And I'm like, oh, I feel good about myself. In this particular conference, there was a young lady named Katie Davis that was speaking at this conference. Katie wrote this book called Kisses from Katie about her journey of moving to Uganda and doing a work there. And as I was listening to Katie talk, I did not like her. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where the person is telling some truth that you don't want to hear. And you're just like, I don't like you. She continued to talk, and she would talk about her story. And the person interviewing went through her story. See, at 18 years old, Katie Davis was a senior in high school, and she had decided that she was going to go on a mission trip to Uganda. She was leaving her parents behind. She was leaving her younger brother behind. She was leaving her friends behind to go and engage to a place that she had never been and never worked at before. While there in Uganda, Katie fell in love with Uganda, the people and what God was up to in Uganda. So she came back home and she said, hey, parents, I'm not going to go to school. I know that's what you wanted me to do, but I'm not going to go to college initially. I'm going to move to Uganda by myself and I'm going to do the work that God has for me there. That work included eventually adopting 13 kids, y'all. 13. I've got three and I'm tired, amen? But she adopted 13 kids. She started this amazing organization that teaches people in Uganda the gospel, that she helps them with their needs that they have, and she's been doing that for years. And as I think about Katie, I think, I remember thinking what I thought then was, Lord, this is extreme. Lord, this is for those crazy Christians, I'm more normal. Like, I'm willing to be obedient, but not in the crazy things. And we look at this, and I had this thought that this is so extreme, but then again, the Holy Spirit interrupting as he does, goes, hey, Nick, what if this isn't extreme, but what if this is just obedience? What if this is what it looks like 
to just walk in obedience, to have hands open and surrendered and a heart open to surrender and feet willing to step into whatever it is I have for you. What if this isn't the extreme, but what if this is the norm? See, today we're going to be exposed to a story in Mark chapter 6 that is recorded in every gospel, in Matthew, in John, in Luke. It's recorded, and for some of us who have been in church for a long time, we have heard this story. And maybe we've thought, maybe God has given us all the truth he can give us from this story. I'm praying that God will reveal something new to you today. That based on what you hear today through the reading of God's word, that you will be challenged to surrender and open your hands and fix your eyes on the king. That's my prayer for us. And you might be going, Nick, do you expect us to move to Uganda and adopt 13 babies? Please, Lord, no. Please, Lord, no. Here's what I would say to you, and my answer might surprise you. I'm not telling you not to do that. But what I am going to challenge you to do is to be obedient. If the Lord impresses on you to do that, then let me just tell you, do that. If it's something else where he's saying, I want you to surrender this, I would encourage you to do it. Because whatever he is asking you to surrender is better in his hands than yours. And that's the challenge we're going to walk in today. We're going to look at this young man who surrendered his lunch, but revealed his surrender of much, much more. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I pray over the next few moments as we dive into your word that you will challenge us. Lord, I pray that if anything is from me, let it fall away. But Lord, if it is of you, may it take root in our hearts and yield some beautiful fruit. Lord, I pray over the, la the next few moments, I pray that we will not be distracted by the things of this world, by anything, but that we were able to fix our eyes on you and that we can hear from you in this place and in this space. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've called us and thank you that you've invited us to be a part of building a kingdom that will last forever. Lord, may we say yes. May we come with open hands and may our eyes stay fixed. Lord, we pray all these things in your amazing, amazing name, amen. Turning your Bibles or tap to, on your phones or whatever you're using to Mark chapter six. We're gonna begin in verse number 30. Let me give you a little background as to what is going on because context is so important. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling. They have been revealing who Jesus is. They have been doing the work of the kingdom of God and they are tired, y'all. They have been busy doing the work. They have just been sent out, and God has used them in mighty, mighty ways. But they are a little tired and weary. And not only that, they have just received some news that John the Baptist, some of these disciples had been following him, was beheaded and killed. And so they are sorrowful. They are feeling the pain of walking in obedience. And they are continuing to do what God has entrusted for them to do. And what's interesting is, I don't know if this is true of you, but when I'm tired and weary or experience pain, my hands typically aren't more open. I like to use that as a reason why I need to be in control and close my hands. But we're going to see that Jesus steps into the midst of this, and he's going to show them a better way to walk and to navigate. So Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and report to him all they had done and taught. 
Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I love this. She's going, hey, I know you've been weary. I know you've been working. And so let's get away to rest. I have a friend that works with me who says this about this invitation from Jesus. The process of surrender, it begins in rest. It grows by faith. It sustains by gratitude. So Jesus is inviting his disciples to get away and rest. And this is free information for you. If you don't have a rhythm of rest in your lives, you are going to burn out. Let me say it again. If you do not have a rhythm of rest in your lives, you are going to burn out. But for me, what I'm guilty of is I hold up my weariness and my tiredness as a badge of honor. Hear me. The Lord has invited you to get in the yoke with him and to walk with him and to have a rhythm of rest. You are not going to be able to do what God is calling you to do if you're worn out, if you're weary, if you're burdened. Jesus gives this invitation in Matthew chapter 11, and I love the message paraphrase of these verses found in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. It says this, are you tired? Can I get any amens from the congregation? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Some of you are going, how do you know, Nick? Because I'm there too. Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. What a sweet invitation. Don't you want your life to be recovered? Don't you want to be restored? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Listen, when we trust the Lord to rest in him, that is surrender. That is learning and operating and walking out this invitation of a surrendered posture. I wrote this down. If we are willing to trust in the mundane, the everyday, the normal, if we are willing to trust in the mundane, we are more likely to trust in the untamed. See, so many of us say, hey, Lord, if you call me to do something big, I will do it. But here's a quick question for you, a little self-examination. Are you trusting him in the little things? Are you trusting him enough to rest in him and recognize that he is the one that is really working? If you can trust him in the mundane, you are more likely to trust him in the untamed. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. That would be something good to underline. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Compassion means having a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow, seeing someone for where they are and having your heart bend towards them because of the situation they found themselves in. So Jesus was resting. He was doing, getting away with his disciples. Then he saw them. He saw a need, and then he did this thing. He surrendered his convenience for inconvenience. He surrendered his convenience 
for inconvenience. I don't know if you're anything like me. I do not like surrendering my convenience. Amen. And I notice this most when I'm in the car. Now, I know when y'all are in traffic, you probably reflect the king really, really well. But sometimes for me, it's a glimpse of where I am in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And what I have learned is that when people need to get over in particular, and there have been signs that say you're going to need to get over, when I come to the point of letting them over and they want to get over, I am not so quick to let them over. Because in my head I go, you saw the signs. I'm going to play my role as a reminder of doing the right thing and not let you over so you can learn. See, I think to myself, I don't want to surrender my spot in this line called traffic because if I let you over, then I will lose about 12.2 seconds. I know y'all aren't like that, but that's like I am. Why? Because I'm holding so tightly to my convenience, and when inconvenience comes my way, I am no way wanting to surrender that. But here's the hard part. If you are in Christ, you are called to reflect him in all the ways. Wait for it. Even in traffic. Even when you're in line at Target. Even in you fill in the blank, you are still called to reflect him. Even, wait for it, this is going to blow your mind. When you go to lunch after church today, you have been called and invited to let go of convenience and maybe embrace inconvenience. Let me, you go, Nick, what are you talking about? You're going to go to a restaurant and that server might not be having the best day, everybody. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to tip based on performance. They're going to forget your water. Your drink's going to get low. They're going to forget to bring your biscuits. You're going to be all kinds of mad. And maybe a step of surrender and reflecting Christ is to love them anyways, to tip them well, not based on their performance, but based on the fact that you are rooted in a king, wait for it, that loved you in spite of you. That is what it looks like to surrender convenience for inconvenience. Verse number 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. When it says remote, it means a desolate place. There's not a whole lot going on. And it's already very late, verse 36. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, verse 37, you give them something to eat. Jesus is about to say something audacious. No, y'all feed him. Excuse me, Jesus. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? See, what's interesting, at this moment where they have been invited to surrender something they don't want to surrender, they get really good at the facts. They get really good at the facts. They are telling the author of history what's going on in his story he's writing. They're like, hey, Jesus, I know you know you spoke things into existence and all things were made through you and by you. That's great. But do you not know how expensive it is to feed all these people? Jesus, there's 10,000 people here. You want us to go? I mean, how are we going to afford that? Where are we going to go get some food right now? Jesus, what is wrong with you. 
See, the disciples were looking for a natural answer when they needed a supernatural solution. They were looking for a natural answer when they were in need of a supernatural solution. See, their natural answer was, let's just send these people away. They can figure it out. I know it's a desolate place, but they can figure it out. The other answer that they were looking for was like, hey, man, we don't have the means or the money. We can't just throw money at this and it goes away, Jesus. See, they tried to have a natural answer, but they needed a supernatural solution. They failed to realize that that supernatural solution was the very one who told them to feed the people. Rick Warren, who is the former pastor of Saddleback in California, says this. Jesus wasn't sweating how to feed 5,000 people. He already had in mind what he was going to do. He saw the need long before they did, and he had a plan. You need to understand this truth today. God always has the answer before you even know the problem. God is not sweating your unsolvable problem. The problem is a possibility for Jesus to reveal he is the supernatural solution. Verse 38. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. When you read this in other gospel translations, in other of the gospels, you know that there's a little boy and the disciples are going throughout the crowd and they're going, anybody got anything to offer? Anybody got anything to offer? Anybody got anything to offer? And this little boy goes, hey, I have five barley loaves and two fish. And we know that this young man is not from a lot of means because it's barley loaves. This was considered food for animals. But what he has, he goes, hey, I have five barley loaves and two fish. You can have it. Y'all, when I think about that little boy, I think about myself in elementary school and middle school, and I was not trying to share my lunch. Amen. I was a chubby kid, y'all, and I love my food. Even today, when my wife and I go on a date, she'll be like, do you want to share an entree? No, girl, you can have what you want. I'm going to eat mine. You eat yours. Be blessed and highly favored. No. I don't want to share that with you. But this little boy says, you know what? You can have it. You can have it. He didn't think to himself, man, I wonder if they're really going to want these five barley loaves and these two small fish. It's not a whole lot. No, he offered it. But what we get hung up on sometimes is we go, mm, that's not much. I don't have much to offer you. It's not about the offering. It's about whose hands you are entrusting it in. Because these hands, the hands of Jesus, are more than able. There's a quote from an early father in our church history. He says this, small things are not always contemptible. It all depends on the hands in which they are. It's about the hands you are surrendering it to, not about the offering. Our invitation is to be obedient and to trust. That's the invitation. We don't look at the offering. We look at the hands that are inviting us to surrender whatever it is we are holding. When we confess our own inadequacy, Jesus demonstrates his abundance. There is nothing trivial in the hands of the king. Verse 39. 
Then Jesus directed them all to the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. Just let me pause right here. Notice that Jesus had them break down. The crowd became smaller. They sat around in groups. And listen, if you're not plugged into a smaller group of humans who are running towards Jesus, who are sharpening one another, you need to be doing that because we need each other. Adam didn't pay me anything to say that. That is what we have to do if we are going to navigate the ins and outs and the ebbs and flow of this world. We need each other. Anybody else with me? We need each other. So if you don't have a small community, I would encourage you to find one. Then Jesus directed them, have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Notice, he invited the disciples to play a part in what he was doing. Even though their faith was lacking, he, they still got to play a part in what God was doing. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Underline that, highlight that. They all ate and were satisfied. So right here, we get to see the first fish fry in history, y'all. Jesus is dividing the loaves and dividing the loaves and dividing the loaves and dividing the loaves and dividing the fish and dividing the fish and dividing the fish. And Jesus not only satisfied their souls, but he also satisfied their bellies. Out of five loaves and two fish, he made a feast. It's not about the size of the offering. It's about whose hands it is in. And if we're not willing to surrender it to the king, then we're not going to see his abundance. We're not going to see what he can do with it. He is more capable than you are. Why not trust him? What I also love about this, and this is just something I notice. I haven't noticed this all the time, but Jesus gave them a carb and a protein. Amen. It was a complete meal. And they ate until they were full. They ate until they were satisfied. Verse 43. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the man who had eaten was 5,000. And we know it was more than 5,000 because there would have been women and kids there. Jesus did something far bigger than what anybody thought. He gave them a feast out of a meager offering. As I read this, one of the questions that came to my mind that might be coming to your mind is, I wonder why there were 12 basketfuls left over. Why the leftovers? One of my favorite pastors who pastors in Texas, his name is Dr. Tony Evans, and he says this about the leftovers. There were 12 baskets left over, one doggy bag for each disciple, each as a reminder of God's supernatural provision. These disciples got to carry around a reminder about what happens when you surrender what you're holding and putting it in the hands of a king. And I imagine that as they walked around, they probably shared from what they were given. They probably didn't keep it to themselves because I'm telling you, if I was there and Jesus gave me a doggy bag, I'd be like, listen, have a fish, half a loaf of bread. Let me tell you what my king did. And there's more where that came from. You are invited to the table as well. Here's the question you have to wrestle with. Are you willing to open your hands in surrender 
and fix your eyes on the king. All the ways that Jesus has come through, all the ways that Jesus has answered prayers above and beyond what you could ever hope or imagine. Are you willing to continue to go, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Even with that, Jesus, I trust you. Are you willing to fix your eyes and keep them fixed? And keep fixing and remembering who is leading. Remember who you look to. Are you willing to keep surrendering and to keep fixing? Rick Warren says this too. God always starts with what you have. You may not have much time. Your finances may not be worth much. You may not think you have much talent, but you can give God everything in your life. Give him your heart, give him your reputation, give him your past, your present, and your future. It may not be much, but you can give him your five loaves and two fish. What I love about Jesus is he modeled this beautifully to the point of death. See, Jesus surrendered his life on behalf of all these lost sheep that he had compassion on. He gave it all. He entrusted himself to his father and he said, I am willing to surrender it all even to the point of death. So that not only can your bellies be full, but ultimately your soul can be satisfied because I have satisfied the debt that you owed in full. And I've also conquered death because I got up on the third day and I left death in the tomb. And I'm holding the key to victory if you're willing to accept it. Jesus modeled this perfectly. And then he invited us to go and do likewise. We can open our hands and surrender and give what we have because Jesus gave us himself. Jesus always goes first. And we can follow and trust his lead. The question is, are you willing to open your hands? Are you willing to fix your eyes? If you would bow your heads for me. As you think about what are we to do with what was heard in these last few moments, I guess my first question in this moment is, are you willing to surrender yourself? Maybe you have not come to church regularly. Maybe you are familiar with the things of Jesus, but you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never allowed him to sit on the throne of your life. You've never said yes to his completed work on the cross and him paying your debt for you. Maybe today is the day where you say yes to Jesus for the first time. Are you willing to surrender yourself? Maybe the question for you is, are you willing to surrender your past? Maybe you keep telling God why you can't do the very thing he is calling you to do because you tell him that you are disqualified based on your past. May we be reminded that the king is the one who qualifies us and he is more than sufficient. Maybe it is time that you surrender your past. Maybe for you, you're holding on too tightly to your stuff because it makes you feel secure. 
Maybe it is time for you to surrender your time, your gifts, your treasure to the king. Maybe for you, very similar to me, you need to surrender your convenience. You go, hey, I can't do that. That might cost me too much. I don't know if I can navigate that. I don't know, Lord, that just feels too inconvenient. Maybe it is time to surrender your convenience. Maybe you have been battling some sin for a long, long time. And you have been battling by yourself because you don't want to bring that thing to light because you're afraid of the implications of that. Listen, anything kept in darkness has power over you. Maybe it is time to surrender it to the light. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you have invited us to be a part of building a kingdom that will last forever. Lord, may we not look to the natural things, Lord, but may we look to the supernatural solution, and his name is Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that we can fix our eyes, that we can open our hands, and that we can walk well with you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. And may we be a people that remember well that you have been faithful in the past. You are faithful in the present and you will be faithful in the future. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen.